The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find more information about Jason at www.jasonderoshi.com. Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54, I'm going to read again the first ten verses as we did last week. Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Why? For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let's pray. Maker, husband, Yahweh of armies, Holy One of Israel, Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, that is who you are. And it's in you, the one who in your Son holds all authority in heaven and on earth, that we pray now. It is to you, the one who is for us and not against us. The one who has justly forgiven our sins and declared us yours. We rest in you today. We need comfort from you today. You are our help in the midst of our weakness. You are our hope in the midst of a cursed and broken world. 
thank you that you have made a way where there is no way. Left to ourselves, we can do nothing. We cannot beat cancer. We cannot overcome sin. We cannot find reconciliation, reconciling help in the midst of relational friction. We can't find hope for unsaved loved ones to know you. Left to ourselves, we are nothing. But with you, the one in whom all authority in heaven and on earth lies, we're able to find rest. In the midst of our suffering, we find endurance. In the midst of our grief, we find light piercing into the darkness. Because you are stronger. Greater are you who is in us than he who is in the world. And your love can never be removed from those you have redeemed. So for those in pain today, display yourself as gloriously faithful. For those with deep sadness, wrap them in the arms of your love. Thank you that you've expanded the walls of the city in which you reside and you filled it with Jews and with Gentiles in Jesus. Your offspring has become as numerous as the stars in the sky. You've claimed us to be your own. We have new birth certificates. Let us rest in light of the greatness of our Father who does not give us stones when we ask for bread. Meet us now, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and for our good. Oh, how we need you. So come. Amen. Last week, Brother John asked a good question. (laughs) You always ask good questions, John. So he asked a good question regarding the future of Israel. I I think it had something to do with that. And I want to start with a couple slides I wasn't able to get to last week, trying to put Isaiah 54 within its context. So we begin here. And what I want you to do is have your finger able to switch back and forth between Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. So in Isaiah 53, it actually begins in 52.13, we see a number of anticipations of the chapter we're starting the semester in. Number one, many. Many. So look with me at Isaiah 52. 14, as many as were astonished at you, O servant, Savior, Jesus, many were astonished at you, so shall this servant sprinkle many nations. Many astonished, many experiencing the substitutionary atoning blood 
of this sacrificial substitute. This individual, many nations sprinkled with redeeming blood. Verse 11 of 53, Out of the anguish of his soul, this servant shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore I'll divide him a portion in the many. He shall divide his spoil, the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins, not of all, but of many. Then we read in verse 1 of 54, Why should the barren woman sing? Because the children of the desolate one will be... ESV has more than the children of her who is married. It's the exact same word that we saw one, two, three, four, five times in Isaiah 53. Many. He will save the many. Many will be sprinkled. He'll declare as righteous many. And the children of the desolate one will be many. Number two. 53.11, notice how the language is that this servant Savior, who's called the Righteous One, whoever gets related to Him, connected to Him, is also going to be accounted, declared righteous. And He will bear our iniquities. The great exchange, our sins put on Him, And His righteousness declared over us. He became sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become, what? The righteousness of God. The servant king is the righteous one who makes many righteous. And then Isaiah 54 All of this talking about God's bride. He's the husband, it says in verse 5. This bride, we learn, is a city. And verse 14 says, In righteousness you shall be established. There's a relationship between the city and the many... And the righteous one, whose righteousness declares this new city transformed, once guilty, once defiled, now transformed, cleansed, forgiven, whole. And the language is, in righteousness, you, O city, will be established. You'll be far from your oppression. You won't need to fear. And then verse 17, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness. ESV has vindication. It's the word righteousness. Same word as we see up in verse 14. Their vindication from me. The heritage, that's what this whole chapter is about. What is it that the servants of the Lord, the servants who are birthed from the servant... What is their heritage? And the answer is righteousness. So there's a link, once again, between chapter 
54 and chapter 52, 13 through 53. We already saw this two weeks ago. The servant singular in Verse 11 of chapter 53, my servant will make many to be accounted righteous. My servant, namely the Messiah, will make many. Well, these many are in chapter 54. It's the first time that we see it, and it'll occur ten more times between Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 66. This servant becomes servants, the many who are birthed from the servant are called servants. That's what we see at the end of chapter 54. This is the heritage of the servants. And we hadn't seen servants in the plural from Isaiah 40 all the way up to 53. It never occurred in the plural, always in the singular. And then now, we never see it in the singular again, only in the plural, and this is the first time. There's a fulfillment. The many who have been declared righteous are identified with the city. They are the offspring of the city. And they're also the offspring, we now see, of the servant. Look in Isaiah 53.10. It was the will of Yahweh to crush his servant. He's put him to grief. If his soul makes an offering for guilt, that is, if he allows himself as a substitute to die on the altar... He will see his offspring. We know that Jesus never got physically married. Jesus never had any physical descendants. And yet the Messiah has offspring. Look at 53, sorry, 54, verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Verse 3, because you will spread to the right, to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations. This woman city that's being redeemed by God in righteousness is going to have an expanding offspring. It's going to be filled with servants who are identified with the servant, who himself is righteous and is the one doing the redeeming of the many who become the servants who are the offspring. Right here, we're seeing set up that the woman in chapter 54 that's being talked to, all in third feminine singular or second feminine singular address, is none other than the bride of the servant in chapter 53. That the very one who would suffer and die on behalf of the many, producing offspring, called the many, called the servants, that the offspring of the servant in chapter 53 appear to be the very offspring of the bride in chapter 54. This is about a new covenant bond between Yahweh through his servant as his representative and Yahweh's bride, a people. 
The servant's work and new covenant invitation. Let's just recall some of these texts. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God. There is no other. By myself I've sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. He's talking to the ends of the earth, not just to the Jews. He's looking beyond the Jews. All the while, from the very beginning, the world was not set apart for Israel. Israel was set apart for the world. Through Abraham, the world would be blessed. The curse of Adam that we just filled this board up with. The result of the curse of Adam would be overcome by the blessing of the last Adam. Reconciliation with God. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. Once enemies have now become friends. Once opposers have now become surrendered. In the Lord, look at this, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified, made right, declared right, and shall glory. All the offspring of Israel. Our passage anticipates talking to this bride city in verse 3 of chapter 54. Spread wide to the right, to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations. And we looked at Amos chapter 9 and Acts 15 last week and saw that this is the language of Gentile incorporation into the one family of God. One new man. Jesus is that man, Adam, Adam. The last Adam. And in this new man, a new creation is birthed. A new family is created. And it includes not simply Jews as offspring of this union between Christ and his bride, but the offspring of the union includes also some from the ends of the earth. So how are we to understand these offspring in relation to Israel here? Who is Israel? Because notice that it says all of them, not just some, All of the offspring of Israel will stand justified before God. I don't think we're talking here simply about a Jewish nation, as we think about the Jewish nation today. This is about all of the offspring. All of them. Offspring of whom? Of Israel. Let's consider. He said to me, the servant's talking, You are my servant. What's your name? Israel. The offspring of Israel shall be justified in the Lord. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. It's too light a thing that you, my servant, should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I'll make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The servant is Israel whose mission is to redeem Israel. So, how did we explain this passage? Who can remember? Anybody? 
Okay. If I believe in Jesus, I can say, I, God has that interpretation according to his word, according to this kind of problem. I can say, Jesus is the one that how Jesus is going to make me um, clean and uh, to keep the, the process of sanctity according to this suffering. Understand, in this way, I can understand this purpose. So last week we saw at the very end of class, we went to Psalm 87 and we saw that the vision for the future Jerusalem was that people from every tongue and tribe would gain new identities. They'd be identified new birth certificates that said you were born in Jerusalem. And I think that's what you're getting at, that we can all have this new identity In Jesus. But we in this text are part of, first, first, our first step is that we are part of the end of the earth who are being saved. There's Jacob and Israel, that's Israel the nation that needs to be saved, but it's too light a thing that God would save only Jewish people. He'll also save people from Guatemala, India, Bhutan, United States, Japan. He has a, a broad vision of salvation. The key is that Israel here is different than Israel above. Because the first Israel is the very means by which the Israel, the people, is going to be saved. And it's this first Israel that, that is Israel a person, Israel a person who ultimately is going to die for the many in Isaiah 53 and whose offspring will include the nations. He shall see his offspring. Here? The offspring of Israel. Who's Israel? He's a person who saves a people. And it's too light a thing that that person would save a people. God would also let him save peoples. And through the substitutionary event, he has offspring. Notice how it's worded here. He shall see his offspring. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see, and he shall be satisfied. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And what was that joy? It was you and me. He shall see his offspring. And in seeing, he will be satisfied and it will motivate him to endure through suffering all the way to bring salvation to the many who are counted as his children by adoption.
He'll count us righteous. The servant, the person, will all of a sudden make many who will include Jewish offspring and nations. And this woman, city, I'm just talking how, I, how Isaiah is talking. This Jerusalem, barren Jerusalem, unable to produce, all of a sudden is going to produce. And the vision is all centered on the work that we read about in Isaiah 54. Let's jump into, yeah, Dave. I think that it is connected, that all Israel will be saved. Um, I have my, a view on how that's to be understood. And, but even among the Bethlehem College and Seminary faculty, we, we're not all in agreement. Um, there's different possibilities. One is that it just talked about the, gem, the Gentile remnant that God is collecting over all time. And then it says, and in this same manner, that is in the remnant manner, all Israel will be saved. Meaning, not that every Jew will be saved, but that Israel there actually focuses on Jewish people and not Israel as in Jesus and all in him. But that it is focusing there on on Jewish people. That's one view. And everywhere in that section, Paul is referring to Israel as the Jewish nation, standing in contrast to the Gentiles. And so that leads many to think that when he says, and so in this manner, in the same manner that the Gentiles are saved, that is in a remnant manner, not all Gentiles, but a remnant from them, so too a remnant of Israel will be saved. The other possibility is that he's just established that the Gentiles are going to be part of the family of God, And in this manner, now that they've been incorporated into the one vine that includes both Jew and Gentile in Christ, that the Israel that is saved is is everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, who are in Jesus. And there's faculty on both sides. Yes, yes. So the the question is, um, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is commissioned, 
What's at stake is, how long do I have to proclaim a word of judgment? Keep looking, but don't see. Keep listening, but don't hear. How long, O oh God, do I have to declare this kind of, of devastation over this land? And God says, until all the land is wiped out, and I will burn it, and then I burn it again, until all that's left is a single shoot. And then it says, the holy seed is its stump. The holy seed. And out of that one seed will be birthed a new creational garden comparable to the Garden of Eden. And so, yes, the, the language there, I think, anticipates exactly Isaiah 49. I am not teaching that the church replaces Israel. I'm teaching that Jesus fulfills what God had declared would be true of the servant. Jesus represents the nation, and from him are birthed, as was anticipated, Jews and Gentiles, part of one people of God, through Jesus as the fulfilling servant. I'm sure that they have. I don't know how many Jews are Christians today. That's beautiful. Scott? Uh, I have a question that's not exactly related to what we're talking about, about who Israel is, so mm-hmm. more questions about that. Like, it's a little bit different. I just don't want to sidetrack them. So. Go ahead. Um, I think you had mentioned last year that the original, that the book of Isaiah was written for us, upon whom the end of the ages had come. I'm wondering, the original hearers of the book of Isaiah, mm-hmm. when they would have, who... Who would they have thought of was the barren one? And and if they could identify who a barren was, barren one was back in that time, would that would it have been an act of faith to say, I'm barren, God is calling me to expand my tents because he's gonna even though there's even though there's no expansion of tents, that the expansion of tents and the building of the city, even if it's not built with people, would have been an act of faith. So, if a Jew hearing Isaiah would have had a closed womb and heard his prophecy and personalized it for their own lives and believed in that promise, um, would it have been an act of faith? It would have been an act of faith... I think, just misguided. And the... um, Isaiah has worked in order to identify the distinction between the servant people who is deaf, dumb, and blind, who's filled with sin and imprisoned because of God, because of God's just judgment, and his... 
servant person who is guiltless, who God will vindicate, declaring innocent, and um, through whom something wonderful will happen. There were people, I think like Isaiah, who had light enough to understand, who had enlightened eyes, who weren't blind, who could grasp somewhat what he was saying. Um, But some of this, I do believe, necessitated the coming of Christ in order to fully understand all that was being anticipated. We know that the very grace that we celebrate today, the grace of salvation that was to be ours, the Old Testament prophets searched and inquired carefully, inquiring to know what person and time the Spirit of Christ in them was foretelling the the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Yet, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but us, upon whom the end of the ages has come. So, that... That image of they were searching in order to know the person. They were searching in order to know the time. There's something known by them about the one and the when. And yet, ultimately, they were serving not themselves, but us. They could only see from a distance what we are enjoying fulfilled. Um, I don't, I don't know if someone in Isaiah's audience would have thought to personalize this. I, I think that there's enough hints in the book that have he, he's already invited them to remember Abraham and remember Sarah. That 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 story of Sarah and her nemesis Hagar, I think it it would it would have been in. Uh, in the minds of those who are at least tracking with Isaiah. Um, so if, if Isaiah would have preached it, right, he just spoke? Yes. If, if, if it was in a congregation like this, and they were to say, what do you mean by Isaiah 54? He would have preached it the same way as what you're preaching. Uh, it wouldn't have been exactly the same, because he wouldn't have known the name Jesus. And yet I think... He anticipated that a virgin would give birth, that this baby king would have the names Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah envisioned that, and it wasn't just Isaiah, it, goes, it does go all the way back to the book of Genesis, but that what they're anticipating is an individual to come whose way would be blameless, whose life would give a blessing, and through whom And only in his day would the world be blessed. Um, This person would have to be able to identify that he would be a Judean. That he'd be in the line of David. Um, All of this, I think, stands in the backdrop of Isaiah's words. And a proper listener would... I mean, Isaiah 9 tells us he'll be in the line of David. And um, so... I think there's a danger in trying to personalize the prophecy. John? This may be another for a future week, and if it is, don't, do it, don't answer my question next week. I'll be gone. <laughs> so here it is. In 
Isaiah, now we're starting to see that word nature have a, have a big part in, in what we're reading. It seems like if I, and I mean, I know, that God said to Abraham he would become the father of a great nation. And then he said to Hagar that, you know, Ishmael would be father of a great nation. Here's what I'm wondering. It sort of seems to me like those are the only, probably the only two people he ever promised that to. I'm not sure uh, that their offspring would become a great nation. Well, maybe Isaac in a sense. But I mean, those two. And it, it sort of feels like bringing this prophecy of Isaiah to say the nations, it seems like there's almost, I've always wondered why God would make a great nation of such a rebellious people as those descendants of Ishmael. And it seems like, through Christ, this is the way that he resolves that question. He brings the opportunity for the nation of Ishmael, you know, to come into salvation. I don't know. Is, is, am I stretching that too far? I always wonder if you follow my question. <laughs> not because you're not smart enough. Because <laughs> my question is pretty hazy. <laughs> The question is, well, the, first there's the comment, the recognition that both Ishmael and Abraham are promised to become great nations. Uh, sorry, Ishmael and Isaac are promised to become great nations, both because of their connection with Abraham. But, and so the, then the question is, is that promise related to Ishmael at all anticipation of all the nations of the world coming back to God through Christ. through Christ. I, on the one hand, have not built a connection between the specific promise that he would become a great nation and back to this. But I have, I do believe that... Um, these are the generations of, these are the generations of, there's ten of those that shape structure in Genesis. Three of them are connected to genealogies that are segmented, broken down, and all of those segmented genealogies are related to rebels in the book. There's two linear genealogies connected to the titles, and both of those genealogy lists are connected to the remnant in the book. And the rebels in the book, and that includes Esau, and it includes Ishmael. The rebels in the book, the reason that those genealogical lists are there, I believe, is to identify Israel's mission field. That through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So I don't think that Ishmael, that promise given to him, I, I haven't built the connection to how it would relate to this, but I will say that there is a connection between the fact that he would become great Sorry, that there is a connection to the fact that he's part of the rebels, not the remnant in the book of Genesis, and the rebels are the ones targeted for missions in the book of Genesis. That they're the very ones, they're, part, they're the nations that the offspring, the male offspring of promise will bless. Genesis twenty two eighteen. That makes the tie for me, but it's not as specific as you're saying. That you haven't made that connection that specific, but that's... And it sort of says to me... It's just not limited to Ishmael. That's my point. So the promise is not limited to him. It's broader than him, including all the other nations beyond Abraham. I'm going to push ahead. 
Seeing as here's where I was planning to go today. Let's see. So we've seen two commands. Sing, verse 1. Enlarge, verse 2. Fear not, verse 4. And this command governs all of verse 4 through 10. The plea to not fear further disgrace. Look with me at verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. Don't fear disgrace. Israel is a disgraced people. The city Jerusalem is filled with contamination because it's filled with rebellion against God. This is what we read. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And that's what Jerusalem has been. Their sin has resulted in their shame, and yet God is saying to Jerusalem, it's not going to last. Somehow, I'm going to enter in to all of your shame. That's, they, the vision, Isaiah's vision, is that Jerusalem will be overcome by enemies who are the agents of God's wrath against them. They'll be pushed down in weakness. God will, His presence will leave, says Ezekiel 8 through 11. It'll just leave Jerusalem, allowing Babylon to come and overcome them. Filling them with shame, not with honor. And yet the vision is, all of your sin is going to be pushed aside. Jerusalem's sins of trusting others rather than God, of idolatry, would lead to the shame of exile. Here was Isaiah 30. Oh, stubborn people, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, the shelter of the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. Everyone comes to shame through a people that can not profit them, and that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation, God says. I'll turn their rivers into islands and dry up their pools. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I'll guide them. I'll turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and do not forsake them. I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. So notice the contrast here. Right now they are put to shame, but the day is coming when I will remove their darkness and bring it, bring in light. God was promising a reversal. He's already declared shame over them, and he says, you will not be ashamed. Fear not. Don't be confounded. You'll not be disgraced. And yet the image, I believe, is that she already is, 
And yet, the point is, she's not going to stay this way. She has disgrace over her, and yet it's going to be transformed. Why should she not fear? Oh yes, the disgrace is going to be pushed aside. The shame is going to be pushed aside. But now it gets inside of it. Verse 4, second half. Because, fear not, be not confounded, because you'll forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, you'll remember no more. God has the power to enter into broken pasts and reverse them. Praise God. You enter into a marriage with baggage, and He's able to make your marriage bed a place of purity and honor rather than disgrace. He is able to do such things. No remembrance of past shame. Here's a picture of the old. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, Not offspring of Israel. Not offspring of God. No, they're children of their father, the devil. That's how Jesus would talk to the Israelites who thought they were offspring of Abraham. They've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That's the old. That's what they're going to leave. Here's the new. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God If anyone is in Christ, what happens? He's a new creation. The old is passed away. You will forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. God's separation from Israel was so great. It was as if their spouse had died. Like they, they're bearing the, the, the shame, the helplessness, the vulnerability of a widow. And yet, God's going to enter in. God's going to enter in as a redeemer. And I guess here's where we pick up next week. We are a new a new, a new Israel insofar as we are part of the Israel, the person. If you are identified with Israel, the person, then you have a new identity and are counted as his offspring. And insofar as he was representative before God, perfectly obeying the law, perfectly living wisely, all of that has been credited to your account to my account, so that God looks at us through His Son and treats us as the fulfillment of His promises to Israel. That's it. Yes. All the great figures of the Old Testament failed. Moses, Abraham, David was buried. He did not rise from the dead. And there was only one who represents Israel, who lived a sinless life and was a perfect Israel. That's right. 
That's right. That's right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are our help. There's some deep pains in here. And you are a God who can redeem. You've got a purpose of saving. And I'm not just thinking about justifying justifying grace. There's people in here today who need sanctifying grace. Meaning they need you to work in them what is pleasing to you. Things like hope and trust and faith. When everything around seems dark and broken. So I pray that you would be working by your spirit in those who need help today. Through Jesus we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at www.bcsmn.edu. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at www.jasonderoshi.com. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who reigns, saves, and satisfies through covenant for his glory in Christ.